Yep, you can start her off. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Farmland Hunter. We're here with Dan Klotz, the uh, archery connoisseur of Somerset County. How are you? Good, Tuck. Good, good. So, uh, you know a little bit about Bose. Um, he, uh, give a little introduction to Dan. He's has a starting uh, local archery shop here in Somerset and um, has been working with Bose for a long time. Uh, how did you get started in the archery industry? Getting started 30 years ago shooting local competitions. Uh, it grew into string making, uh, advanced from there and still shoot today uh, competitively and uh, constantly working on bows and setting up arrows and it's just something that's in my blood i enjoy it uh and your main focus or your niche is string making correct correct yeah and and you told me a, a little while ago when i first started coming over here about how you got introduced to the string making how did you go from just being your everyday bow hunter and archery shooter like we are and most people to getting into working on the bows and um starting to build string and that stuff i think it was more learning from pros that pushed me into doing it uh of course there's no one in the area you know that does what i do so uh it's a way of making money yeah <laughs> all about the money yeah all about the money. <laughs> now you went down to alabama right and didn't you learn from um a shop down there when you were working what were you drilling or yeah I worked for Keystone drill at the time uh, was down in Alabama went to a local shop down there owned by Alan Corner uh, he showed me a little bit of the string making I come back on and started playing around on my own uh, implemented what Jerry Tannehill up in Bakersville uh, had taught me about string making and uh, combined the two and uh, I it turned into shooting shooting and enjoying the archery and you also coached 4-H for a lot of years right yeah for 15 years I was a 4-H archery coach I was I always thought about joining the 4-H team uh, were you on the archery team for 4-H? No, I always, I don't even really remember the 4-H that much because yeah. I said that when I did it, but I just remember like you had to have these certain groups. Like I did like the beef cattle thing uh -huh. of it, so I always just stayed with that. I didn't yeah. even, I did rifle though. I did do rifle a little bit through the 4-H. That was about it. Yeah, 4-H has a lot of good programs. I mean, they had archery rifle. I mean, they pretty much had a, a program for for everything and I think they still do I, I'm pretty I'd imagine, sure I'd imagine yeah it's hard to say with today I don't know if they have the yeah I know the club whole COVID anything. thing really uh put them put them in a, I don't know I feel like they fell off there for a little bit because they uh with the fair and didn't have anything to do with the fair for, because of COVID and stuff I think they lost some membership but. yeah so um when you go to these archery shoots do you see a lot of like name brand people like Matthews, Hoyt, like guys that come from Matthews, like Crispy. Do you know who Crispy is? You ever heard of Crispy? Oh, yes. Uh, 
He knows. He knows all the pros. Don't okay. let him. Don't I, let him fool know. you. I'm new here. I don't know. Uh, it's always good to run into pros, and my advice to anyone who runs into a pro: ask those questions you want to know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're saying about well, my servings walking up, and you said that you learned a little tip from uh, Levi Morgan. Where did you meet him, and where did you see him at? Uh, the OPA, which is an organization of professional archers, uh, they invite. At the time, they invited who they wanted to at these shoots, and that's where I learned to know Levi Morgan, and he gave me the tip of interweaving the serving to stop the slippage. And now so, what we're talking about is, um, so on your bowstring, you have your string, but then you have the string. Well, you explain, what is, what is serving, first of all, and explain a little bit of what we're talking about with serving slippage and and um, just go into detail for those who don't know. Okay, the serving is wrapped around your bowstring to protect anywhere there is wear, uh, around your cams, around your modules, uh, through your roller slides. Uh, you also have a serving out where your D-loop is, which fattens up the string enough that your knock has a nice tight snug fit okay I, I never really thought about the knock fitting at all is that do you have to measure and get the right serving to fit individual knocks or do they all pretty much fit better or does the serving have an effect on your arrow flight at all different kinds of serving is there really no not really the kind but uh if you have two tight a knock fit say use you use 21,000 serving. Mm -hmm. That can sometimes get too tight and your knock is too tight fit. Yeah. It should just snap on enough to hold it. Oh, okay. So uh, they make different thicknesses. They make different... Uh, whether it's uh, weaved together or just a single strand, uh, there's so many different kinds kinds yeah. of servings that you find out what works best for you. Right. right that's the that's the thing like with bow hunting i can shoot my bow i can sight it in i can hit the bullseye i can take it hunting but when it comes down to like all the um like the cans the doing little stuff to like tune your bow like the nitpicky stuff that like most like a lot of guys don't think of especially me because i'm new to the whole bow hunting thing like I get totally lost. Like when people are saying about all these different kind of yeah. stuff, I'm just like, what? What kind? What part of the bow? That's that's why I take it to Dan. I don't even want to mess with it because I'll probably screw it up that's if I do. I know how to make I know how to make it tighter. That way, I pull more weight back or loosen it. So I'm not pulling. That's that's about as far as yep. I get. But I've only been shooting a like a newer bow for about two years, so I don't. I'm still learning about how the whole thing works. Yeah, There's we're a both lot pretty, of stuff to yeah. do. We're both pretty new into the the whole archery world and. It's good to sit down with someone like yourself that has been in the industry for so long that, you know, kind of, that's why we wanted to sit down with you here today, just to kind of learn some stuff from you and then be able to share it with other people too. Yeah. So let's start like talking about like learning stuff. So the other night me and Tucker were shooting down at my house um, on Thursday and my arrows, it just seems like, um, I was telling him when I shoot, the arrow doesn't enter the target clear perfect like center like i'm 
I, to me, whenever I shoot the target, my arrow should be sticking in it straight. Sometimes it has like a little, like a kick in it, like almost like whenever I hit the target, it kicks or something. Like it didn't enter the target perfectly straight. Why is that? Like he was saying about maybe like, um, what are you saying about the tuning yeah. or something? Maybe yeah, possibly. Something out of tune, probably. Yeah, the tuning or your, or your center shot can be off. Uh, it also can be a bad release. So it's something we'll have to take a look at. Okay. See, I'm using an old, 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 <laughs> old True Fire release. Um, just what? What do you even call it? That release? An like index a, release. An index release. Okay. Yeah. I see. I don't even know the terms. <laughs> Macaulay just goes after the deer. And, yeah. And that's his focus. Oh yeah. I can hit the bullseye and I can kill him. That's just about it. <laughs> but so like, I'm using like a probably like a 15 16 year old which that to some people that's probably not old but to me like that's almost <laughs> as old as me yeah um release i mean it works good but i i have no way to tell like how it works like i tucker gave me his uh to what was that called a, th a, thumb, a thumb release or a thumb button yeah to try and the first time i shot it i pulled the thing back put it up to my face he's like walking me through it and i like i let it go almost missed the target completely <laughs> Then I then I got it a little bit better, but I like I've never tried in a different uh, release. So I guess I won't know if that'd be the problem. Well, you have to you have to let him try a, a hinge release and see what he thinks about that. Yeah. what is so explain for the listeners the different styles of releases you can find out there and kind of their purpose. Okay, the hinge release that you talked about is probably the most accurate. Uh, you do not know when that shot is going to go off. <laughs> uh, some archers can't get over that. Uh, most archers you will see use an index release, which they start the timing method of going across the target and then they punch it. Punching is not good. Hinge, any style re release like a hinge where you got true back tension is the better choice and it gives you that surprise shot so you're not anticipating your shot correct correct but if you learn to use an index release right it, it's just there's nothing wrong with an index release and how do you shoot your index release as opposed to other people because i know it's a little different well the best thing you could do would be practice with a practice string and learn to get away from that punching. Let the targets, uh, the pin settle on the target and start the squeeze of a release. Uh, most of the pros will tell you start that eagle's claw and then just start squeezing. No punching at all. Yeah, yeah. I see a lot of people that shoot in there. They'll get set up as soon as they get on that bullseye, boom. And they're just, they're just ripping a shot down. And when you start to do that, some people it doesn't affect, but you probably see a lot of people have some serious target panic, they call it. And um, I know I had to switch from an index release to a thumb button, and I shoot my thumb button almost the same as a hinge. I, I, use, my, I use it as like a back tension. I pull through my back, and I, I rotate back through the shots. So that way it rotates in my hand, and uses my thumb as a as a, a release to go off um, 
I mean, I, I use the thumb or an index. I use the Spot Hog. Uh, oh, what was that? It was the Purple Spot Hog. Cam Haynes always shot it. Uh, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Midwest Whitetail uses this. Yep. Great release. I mean, smooth, feels good in your hand. But for me, I always had a problem of getting anchored and then um, just punching the trigger. And I just, I can't shoot an index to save my life because of that. Most people, that's all they shoot is an index. I I prefer the the handheld thumb button releases because it gives me a surprise shot when I need it to. Like when I'm in the woods, I even hunt with it. And then if I need it in a situation where I need to shoot now, I can always just touch the button a little bit or the, I don't know what you call it, I guess the button, and, and, it, and it's going off too. I don't understand how, like Chris B, yeah. how he hunts with his hinge. Like every deer he shoots, every animal he shoots, he shoots it with the hinge. And that just amazes me. I mean, you get a good release, but I don't know how he can control. I guess maybe in his situation, he's thinking if, if the shot's not good anyway, to not rush it, it's just not a good shot. Um, you don't hunt with a hinge, right? Or do you? Have you? I will deer. Oh, yeah? Uh, I was out on a hog hunt, which if you've ever hunted hogs, uh, they're real skittish. <laughs> And one's rushing in front of the other, trying to oh. eat more corn than the other one. <laughs> and it's hard to settle and get that smooth pull-through shot. Yeah. Uh, but deer hunting, I use the hinge release. And what hinge do you use? Uh, the Fulcrum Flex oh, okay. by uh, Trueball. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I hear that's a... A good release. I hear a lot of people in the industry, just on social media and YouTube and stuff, use that. A lot of a lot of hunters in in the archery industry, it seems like they're pretty stuck on the index release. Why do you think that is? I think it's because it's the easiest to use. Uh, keep in mind that these years ago when you started to learn compound archery and recurve you were using your fingers well then the release come out the index is a cheaper release they have some high dollar but it's the most affordable and it's the easiest to use and that's what you see on the hunting channel yeah yeah that's true yeah was it the first like after you, everybody quit using their fingers or didn't quit, but a lot of guys switched over from using their fingers, was the index release the first one to come out? Was that, like, one of the first releases? Yeah, and they were rough around the edges, definitely. <laughs> I, think uh, that, I think yours was an original one. <laughs> it's, it's old. It's really old. But it gets the job done. <laughs> I'm stuck in my old ways. Yeah, yeah. Got a brand new bow, 20-year-old equipment on it. <laughs> Yeah, you got the verdicts. You upgrade. He, yeah, you have the verdicts. You yes. just got the VXR, right? Yes. All Matthews shooters here. Um, have you seen a V3X yet? Yes, I've shot one. Uh, very smooth bow. Um, so like, is there a point? So like, stuff. People say this all the time. How can it get more, like, advanced? Like yeah. technology wise, how can it get more advanced? My verdicts. I went from shooting a. Um, a 2005 Hoyt, that thing was, I don't even know why I shot it, 
and then I get that verdict and the difference was like immaculable like it was crazy the shots like just quick quiet you don't even hear all you hear is the release click that's about it mm -hmm. then the air is hitting the target like I don't know how like you could get more advanced than that to me like you yeah I, I don't know like it's crazy already yeah like unless they start shooting lasers or something I don't yeah <laughs> I said that 10 years ago that how can they get more advanced but every year they make the bows smoother quieter it's crazy because like like the v3x i mean i i guess the new v3x has that new um that bridge technology like the center bridge technology like it um you can put that site in the center that's cool i don't know how it works really yeah i guess you you're not looking like out to the side of your bow as much i don't yeah. i have no idea have you seen anyone use that yet not yet no. i haven't seen one i guess we should watch the hunt channel like all those all those people yeah like the, the sponsors there was um an archery shop archery shop up at college and they had uh, a demo bow there with one in and I saw on YouTube someone do a review of one and they said that with that bridge lock technology some sites are already pre-made to have that big thick riser or a riser between its rail and the site itself the housing and when you move it in that close a lot of times they said a lot of these sites that are out there that are already made they don't go in enough yeah yeah it would be they don't they don't go in enough closer to itself so you're looking away from like a little bit like this yeah so they said you really have to watch which sites you get because some of them just won't work on it now like Hoyt I like what they did they put the uh, the Picatinny rail on the front of the, the front of the riser and I, I like that a lot I think it's a lot simpler um, you're in line then and then you're not just stuck to the, to the, what, what's that called when you have the bar on the site? You have the, like, um, like most sites, they screw into the side of your bow, but some of them have a bar that you tighten down the top on. You're talking a dovetail? Yeah, yep. Okay. Yeah. I don't know if mine has that or not. No, yours is just the, um, just right the into screwing, the bow. Yeah. Just two screws into the bow. Uh, Dan's over there is a, a dovetail, right? Yeah, the dovetail allows you to slide the bar. Yeah. Extend that sight further out from the bow. Or slide in closer, okay. which when you're using a lens. Okay. That's a good... If, so that's a good thing I, I didn't even think about till now. So I didn't even think about the sight being able to come forward and back like towards you and away from you. My eyes are great. Like, I can pick just about anything out you want me to. If you see something, I can point it out to you. My eyes are real focused. Um, but, like, when I'm looking through the site, through my peep, it just seems like the stuff, like the, I have three pins. It's a trophy rage. It just seems like my eye just, like, wants to blur them together because they're close. Like, at 20, I have my sights set at 20, 30, and 35. And it just seems like they're all so close that they start to blur. And I don't know, like, if I would bring it closer, if it would help me, like, clear them up. Or, like, if they would, if I would put them further away, maybe my eyes wouldn't be so screwed up. Like, I don't know. Like, do you have anything to... Uh, if your pins are blurring in your eyesight, uh, we could always try a uh, verifier in your peep, which would clear those pins up for you, but then may make it hard to see... 
Yeah. The actual target. target. Yeah, see, green, like my green pin, my 20-yard pin's green, and then my 30-yard pin's red, and then my 35's green. My green pin, I can see pretty good. Like, when I'm focusing on 20, I can. it's clear as, a, like, a whistle, you know? But whenever I go to 30, that red pin, it starts to blur, and I don't know if it's the red color in my eye just doesn't like to focus on it with the target or what, but... I don't know if, like, that's why I told him, like, I thought about maybe switching to, like, a single pin. Had, like, a green single pin. And, like, I, I always liked the idea of the single pin just for the fact that, like, you sight it in. You can move that. Um, what sight is it that you, it's just, like, a twist button? Or not really a twist button, but it's, like, a... A twist. Yeah. Yeah, just, like, a single pin mover, right? Yeah. Uh, the vertical up and down. Yeah, that's... Uh, with a single pin and your targets out there further you have to lower your sight yeah i i've just i've always liked that idea that and i thought maybe if i switched that maybe my eye wouldn't want to focus on all like all three pins maybe that one pin would like be easier for me to focus on um that's that's probably my biggest problem um whenever i'm shooting at night um it's not even during the day broad daylight dark doesn't matter it's still like my eye just wants to blur it together and i figured if i just had one single pin and put it on the target maybe it'd be better off I could, I could i mean i still hit the bullseye a lot but like maybe i'd be more in that general group you know what i mean because like when that thing starts to blur and i'm like okay well i'm trying to focus on the site and the target at the same time and i'm like going like this like moving around mm -hmm. trying to focus it and then i miss by like two or three inches sometimes and i don't like that <laughs> yeah. yeah most hunters like a three-pin sight that way they're not moving anything on their bow when that animal comes in that's the that's the that's the only thing that i like about this the my three pin is that part of it you don't have to worry you, you just have to worry about ranging them and that's about it and most of the time i have the paths range before they even come in so like i don't even have to hardly do that sometimes but i guess with the single pin you'd have to range them move this site that's a whole other thing to worry about while you're in the tree stand that'd be the only thing I don't know. Maybe I somehow I can paint that little red sight green. That yeah, yeah. I mean, I know you're supposed to have them that way. You don't get confused with like which one's right. 20, 30, 35, or whatever, 40. But I feel like if I could get it in green, then maybe my eye wouldn't. Yeah. Blur it as bad. See, for me, I really always had a problem with judging my my distance between pins, and I feel more confident in my shot. I'd rather just take the extra time range the animal it takes three seconds more and be confident that that's where my pin wherever i put my pin that's where my arrow is going to hit um i know some guys they'll set their pin on 30 and they'll shoot from 20 to 40 with their 30 yard pin i've heard of the guys doing that too and i just i can't trust myself enough to do that yeah. i'd rather take the extra time range the animal get a yardage put it on and then draw back and put it on them yeah um now you have those situations where it is tough i haven't ran into a situation yet where i didn't have enough time to do that um and then you know what i like with the single pin is you should practice setting it on 20 or a distance and practicing shooting without you know moving your sights that way just in case when you are in the field it's a good fallback plan if you need to um you don't have time to move your pin you can just 
pull up and, and shoot and, and know your distance from your pin too. Yeah, like last year, um, I had a buck. Uh, I called him Splits. He was coming out. I had a, it was like a Texas standoff where he was standing there trying to figure out like if I was in the tree or not. And we stood there for like, uh, it felt like 20 minutes. It was probably only five. Yeah. I was just standing there, bow in my hand, holding it like this in the air. Couldn't put it back on the, like any, I couldn't even do anything with it. My arms were getting tired. I couldn't move. I'm just there like this. And that with the single pin, if I would have had like, he was wide. I wasn't, and I had like one shooting lane and he uh-huh. was looking right at me. Like if I would have had to move that sight or bring this other arm up to do it, he might have picked that off, but all I had to do is wait for him to put his head down. I just went like this right off the bat, and I mm-hmm. didn't have. So that'd be the only thing with a single pin if about changing it. Yeah, I don't know. There's there's pros and cons to both, I guess. I'm not a big um, archery guy yet, so I don't know the whole yeah. ins and outs of the whole thing, or know all the answers. <laughs> That's why we're here. Yep, yep. I think we were talking earlier. It's just archery is a lot of whatever works for you and what works best for you and what you're comfortable with and and use what's comfortable and whatever gives you the confidence in the woods you know that's true tucker you mentioned target panic and 90 percent of the archers have it myself i have it it's knowing your equipment knowing what keeps your target panic tamed down uh it's it's hard to overcome target panic but i keep mine tamed you gotta learn to live with it it's always gonna be there you gotta live with it (laughs) don't forget buck fever on top of it yeah that's my big problem oh i get target panic when there's a deer out there i'm like all right let's go whoa (laughs) yeah i get pretty nervous i'll be up in the tree stand like i'm shaking about falling out of the tree stand that's just I know the first doe I see of the year when she's walking under my stand, I start shaking. I'm like, oh my gosh, any, all right. Any deer, if I can get, like, I usually end up seeing a lot of deer on my sits. Our property's really open, and I end up seeing a lot of deer, but it's whenever they're within bow range that I start getting super nervous. Even, uh-huh. if, even if it is just a doe, I'm just like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. hold my breath in just in case. <laughs> I love watching doe just feet around and it's just so cool to be up in the tree and look down on them and it's like you're not not even there not even there yep yep and you don't see it like we were talking yesterday you don't see that in rifle season at all no no by the time you get to rifle season after maybe the first day in some places yeah. after that the deer so um they know what's happening uh-huh. they're just patterns totally change you don't even see a deer our yeah. property will go from being like fantastic to nothing in about 24 hours during rifle season you can see 10 bucks the day before right before rifle season then you go in there on opening morning maybe see a couple some guys get some and then after that chances of shooting one are slim to none i'm totally convinced that the older deer when everyone's shooting their rifles in the week before whatever i mean around here in somerset county the weekend before you'll hear gunshots all day it'll sound like opening day it's especially true. now because opening day rifle season you don't hear that many shots anymore yeah um but i'm convinced that the deer associate that with a coming season i i think they they kind of prepare for it because you can kind of see the deer patterns start to change 
once the guns start going off. Sounds and like stuff. World War Three out there on opening morning out at our place. Like oh, our yeah. property, there's not that many people that hunt on. Most of us are family, one or two friends. But you just listen all morning long, all your ears. Yeah. And I guarantee the deer, once they hear that, they're like, "Yep, we're we know what's going on now." They yep. could, they or they have calendars. They, I'm convinced they have that too. And caves, they definitely have caves because yeah. there's no possible way that they can all disappear. That <laughs> I'm convinced they dig holes or something. Yeah, we don't know they anything disappear. about them yet. Or climb trees. I, honestly, it wouldn't surprise me. Uh, Hey, how would you know if a deer's hiding from you in a tree? You've never seen it before. Oh, yeah, you don't know until you see it. Yep. Uh, so, I guess we could talk about arrows. Yeah, I, so. I, I don't really. Arrows is where I'm. <laughs> I don't know. It's, this is going back to me being not knowing that much about the whole archery thing. The other night, Tucker goes, What grain arrow are you shooting? I was like, I think my whole arrow is like 495 grains. He's like, Yeah, that's, that's good. And he's like, He's like, looking at my arrow. He's like, What, what grain is your arrow? I said, like, It says 340 on it. I guess it's 340 grains. He goes, No, no, that's your spine. I was like, <laughs> What do you mean, my spine? I'm like, What? Yeah. I had no clue. So, like, what? Give me, like, I, Tucker and me went into a little bit. He's trying to explain it to me. So, like, the lower the spine, the thick like the the heavier the arrow or what is it the the stiffer the, the stiffer arrow. that's it yeah so the lower the stiffer the higher the number the less stiff it is yeah it's more flexible the higher the number okay so i always thought like people would say like they got a 500 spine arrow or whatever i always thought they were just it was just a fancy word for talking about grains like i had no idea i was like holy smokes 500 grain arrow that's a freak that's pretty big but i had no idea so that's like I didn't know that whole end of it. And like Tucker was saying about like um uh they had to go by like grains per inch, right? GPIs is what they're called. And I think mine was like uh what is it, nine point four? Is that like or eight something around there. Uh, yeah, nine point two maybe. Is that like a normal kind of thing? Are they usually around yeah, that anywhere nine? from seven grain per inch to nine. Yeah, I that whole end of it. I'm a little um, eerie on because I don't know that whole thing. But I also, like, I use Easton arrows. I don't know, do you, what do you use Easton arrows or what arrows do you use? Uh, through the shop here, there's how many different manufacturers of arrows. Uh, so I see all kinds. Uh, the grain sprint, uh, going for the total weight mass uh, of an arrow. Uh, you're talking the field point, what inserts in it, yeah. to what fletchings you're going to put on it. Uh, I didn't even think about fletchings before, like, until we were talking. And he's like, even your fletchings have a little bit of weight. And I was like, for example, things are like paper thing, what are you talking about? But I guess it does have a lot of play whenever you're talking about, like, the aerodynamics and shooting it through the air. I guess that every little bit, like, adds up, I guess. And I never really thought about it. I always just, I used to go to the store, like when I had that old Hoyt, I used to just go down to the, um, one sports shop, just grab whatever arrows, get them cut to whatever length that I had. And I just shoot them, didn't even care. Like, well, I go in, like, I grab like 12 arrows, probably not even the same as the ones I had the year before. And I just shoot them, make sure that I could hit the target and, or like the close to the bullseye or the bullseye. And I was like, yep, we're good. Now I'm not that way. I I have uh, 
I have one arrow left of the good ones because <laughs> I blew I I shot at this one buck last year and I blew the other ones apart this year being stupid trying to shoot further I blew them apart now I only have one left I want to get the same ones because they're, they're lucky I yeah. shot my first buck with one that I want to shoot I, I like them they have a it's a Easton Axis Sport um, five millimeter um, I guess it's a 340 spine uh and they have like a like one of them 50 grain inserted tips or like silver. They look. I'm pretty sure they they're 50 grain. And then I just have. I think they're like there's AAE. Is that the company that makes the veins? AAE. Yeah, that's one. I think that that's one of the companies that makes them. Yeah. American Eagle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I have those on there. I don't know. I just got them down to sports shop. I like them. Those are they shoot pretty good out of my bow. I guess. They're pretty nice. Yeah, the like the 340 spawn can handle a weight 70 plus. Okay. Uh, if you use too light of a spine with a high poundage bow, it can get dangerous. Uh-huh. So, yeah, uh, you're shooting a little thin piece out of like, or I guess you get that flex, like you're shooting a freaking, like all that velocity uh, and kinetic energy, it'd probably just go. As the ranch fairy says, the Twizzlers, right? <laughs> yeah, a lot of guys are trying to reach that FOC from yeah, the center. Which I want to talk about that after yeah. we're, we're going to lead into that. Yeah, I, I, bring that I have no idea about any of that. But so like, like my bow, I'm pulling 60 pound back. Um, give her, it's not quite right at 60, but it's right at 60. Um, uh, it's, I'm using that 340. Is that like a good stiffness for like a spine for like 60 pounds or like, what would you recommend shooting out of like a 60 pound bow? 340 spine. You could, you could go all the way to 400. Uh, when you start getting into weaker spine arrow, okay. you want to back down on the point weight. Okay. So like I'm shooting, I have that little inserted tip. Plus I use like 125 grain broadhead or field tip whenever I'm practicing. And uh, I guess I'd have to add up all, all that stuff sometime. I should probably figure it out to the second. When people ask me what grain of arrow I was shooting, I was telling them the wrong thing all this time. <laughs> uh, but I guess I should figure that out. I never thought about any of that before. And I don't know like, like what you were just saying about like the stiffness and stuff. I didn't even think arrows like I always thought arrows were all the same, like they all look the same. I just thought the number on them was like the grain of the air. I just they all look pretty similar. I thought they were all made the same. <laughs> uh, it's like the javelin pole. Yeah. Uh, that flex in the arrows, what's guiding that to the target? Your point's gonna lead the way, but uh, you get too weak of a spine. Yeah chances are it could snap when it leaves the bow huh. yeah i'm not pulling. Yeah, you don't want that to yeah and <laughs> i don't think i'm gonna be pulling 70 pound anytime soon i'm i'm a little skinny guy yeah yeah uh, 70 pounds is half my body weight. uh <laughs> i shot 70 last year and i was surprised and i think it was because i was lifting through the summer and stuff yeah and so i was and i tried man i backed my bow down the other day i i drew back and i felt like nerve pain all up my neck and down my shoulders when I was drawn back. I was like, oh man, I, I gotta draw down the weight here. Um, what you were saying about what was this? You were in the when we were getting stuff out of the truck, you were saying a statistic about a doctor 
with. Oh yeah. So um, this one guy, he's a he bow hunted back in like um, like the old like recurve like beginning of compound bow days. He used to hunt. Um, he's older now. He's probably seventy five. Um, and he was saying his doctor because he had to have shoulder surgery. Um, he said his doctor told him that he sees more guys like come in in their 50s and 60s that need rotator cuff surgery and stuff that shoot like were shooting bows their whole life mm -hmm. and like to shoot their bows he said that it doesn't he's not sure if it's because the way they pull them back or what but he said all those guys he's like oh you're a bow hunter yeah and he's like oh yep figures and i i mean i hope i don't have to have that surgery but i ain't gonna give up bow hunting so yeah i i guess i'll i'll deal with it if i yeah. if it happens but yeah i I don't know if that's like true or maybe the doctor was just like yeah. blowing smoke up him or whatever, but I don't, seems like I don't, it does put a lot of stress on your shoulder. Like when I pull my bow back, even if, I mean, it's not hard for me to pull it back, but even just pulling it back, I can feel my muscles working. I imagine it's doing something down there. Well, like you're having a little bit of a problem with your arm too, right? Correct. Uh, hopefully it's not what he's talking about. Uh, <laughs> But yes, I'm at that age where you can, you can see stuff creeping in. Good Lord willing, I'm going to keep shooting. Yeah, yeah. I'm not giving up bow hunting. When I, I hope I can bow hunt until I'm 60 years old. I I'll just use a crossbow. <laughs> <laughs> there's a guy that, um, so there's this Exodus trail camera. So you ever heard of Exodus? Yes. Um, there's a guy, he has like, oh, I can't even remember. It's like 50 Boone and Crockett entries in um I can't, I wish I could remember his name right now. Um, I think he's out in Michigan. Don't quote me on that, but I'm pretty sure it's Michigan. He's like 65, 70, still using a compound bow. He said he used to like, um, he's he's getting into more like the saddle hunting now. At that age, like he's, that's usually like you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Usually that, old dogs 65, 70 aren't going dude, up in a tree yeah. anymore. <laughs> and he, he said like he used to just like, when he was like in his 40s younger, he used to just climb up in a tree. He'd find a tree that had like a L, like an L shape in it. And he would just hop up, climb up into the tree, no tree stand, nothing, just get up in there. And he said he would take his own straps that he would make and he would just tie himself to the tree. Just kind of like using a saddle. Yeah. Just, like old yeah, yeah like one of the first originals yeah and just hunt deer and he killed big deer that way <laughs> i mean think about it don't hang in a tree stand you just climb up in a tree every time you hop in there i mean that'd be a little rough i wouldn't yeah i could probably do it but i wouldn't like it think about trying to find a tree that you could stand in yeah it's hard enough to find a tree you want to stick your hang on it, let alone climbing up ah, i think i could climb up that one i can stand on there for a whole day yeah yeah no it would my butt hurts after 20 minutes, 30 minutes up in the stand, let alone standing on the side of a tree waiting for a deer to come. Yeah, I just checked my one stand uh, this past week. Uh, it was like one night after work, and I climbed up in it. Well, I was climbing up in it, and I saw this white piece of foam laying there. It was all chewed up. I looked up at my stand in my seat. Some, like, squirrel or something or whatever, I don't know, ripped my freaking seat apart had it laying on the ground so now i gotta figure out because i don't i'm not sitting on bare metal <laughs> i don't have much meat on my bones yeah. my butt cheeks are touching the metal <laughs> well i bought an xop vanish stand last year because i was trying to go with kind of like the lighter setup the way I, if i wanted to i can move it around and stuff and that seat that tree stand is so uncomfortable and it's not a cheap tree stand either i mean it's like it's basically a clone of the lone wolves, but I think the lone wolves have the better seat on them. 
the seat's so small, it's so close to the tree, and you're just straight up and down the entire time, not a lot of seat movement, and it is uncomfortable. And you're in there for like 30 minutes, you're like, oh man, this is starting to get old, but... Have we were, either of you tried subtle hunting? No. No. Have, have you, you? Do you no. have one? No, I was gonna say I. The only thing we were talking. Um, if you would listen to our one or what podcast was it? That was the last one. Maybe yeah. Yeah, I think is the last one. Um, we were talking about that a little bit. I can. I'm not good with, um, like strings, like ropes, tying any of that stuff. Like I'm none of that. I'm good at. Tucker did get me talked into like a lineman's belt for hanging tree stands and stuff. That's a big game changer. <laughs> I he said he was just taking all his stuff up and hanging off of it with one hand, putting his stand on. Like, you're working too hard. Yeah, I get up there about 15, 16 feet. <laughs> After I hang the sticks is the easy part. Hanging sticks is nothing. But then I get up there and I have to wrap my arm around the stand, <coughs> grab, then pull the platform up with one arm try and fish my ratchet strap around with my left arm but now i went on amazon got me a lineman's belt totally i hung a tree stand just for fun i had one stand in my house and i had a spot that i thought i wanted to put a stand in so i was like you know what i'm gonna try this thing out i just went back here ran it up the tree uh put my lineman's belt on threw it around grabbed the platform worked with both hands put it up way quicker than i did it before and then even trimming limbs i just i have like a hoyman tree saw just like a handheld i just loosened the belt real loose made sure it was good and i just leaned out from my stand just cutting limbs like yeah. nothing before i had to like hold on to the platform and just could reach what my arm could now i can do everything yep total game changer if, if you're listening and you don't have one definitely and get it's one. a lot safer too oh yeah 10 you're times safer. the entire time yeah there, i can't tell you how many times i almost fell out of the stand trying to get them hung because i didn't have the right equipment nope. and i mean i'm not saying that I couldn't now, but the chances are slim. I, those belts are crazy. They're good. Do you use a lineman's belt? Yes, I do. Yeah. I'm older. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not letting go of that tree. <laughs> yeah. How high? So when you're hanging your stands, how high do you prefer to be usually? Uh, I'm usually at 23. 20. Okay. So yeah, I, I'm the opposite. I'll go to. That's a lie. I'm not the opposite. I'll try and find a tree with cover like the best cover and on the right side that I need the wind and everything. But I I have uh, I have five hang-on stands now and three of them are probably only 12 to 14 feet in the tree. But that's because the trees aren't that big and there's a lot of cover down He's low. He's just afraid of heights. No, no, I'm not afraid of heights. <laughs> I used to hang, I have a, I biggest reason I don't go super high is my biggest, um, I don't have all that many sticks, like climbing yeah. sticks. If I would have more sticks, I'd probably go a little bit higher. But also, I have like a 20-foot ladder, and I keep the trees to the platform down from it like three feet. So there, I'm like at 17 feet. I'm just worried about like getting at a higher angle. I'm always thinking like, well, if a deer comes in, like if I have a big buck come in like five, six yards from the stand, which is always possible because uh -huh. I'm hunting like CRP and stuff, their paths are just everywhere. Like if he comes walking under the stand, that's a hard angle to be. And I'm not saying I wouldn't try and shoot him at that, but I'd rather... I'd rather me be looking more eye level, not eye level with him, but more right. so I don't have that sharp angle. But like at maybe you'll know at at like say a buck's within like at ten yards or closer or within twenty, your arrow is gonna hit higher obviously than it would at twenty. So like say the buck's 
um, seven yards out from your stand at a pretty sharp angle, where do you set your 20-yard pin? Like, because my 20-yard pin's my um, lowest one. Do I, like, do I make it look like there's, like, pretend there's another pin above it like there would be and put it on it? Or, like, what do I do? Yeah, they make a range finder that deducts. But most guys will have a 20-yard pin set that you're not moving. That's how mine is. So I just aim a little lower. Uh, keep in mind that when they're that close to you, and I had this happen already, uh, I actually hit the platform of the tree stand enough to hear the air ding off. <laughs> really? Uh, that so Oh, that would be the worst. Hopefully, was, never do the straight down shot. It's not good. Hopefully, it was oh, just a doe. Was it just a doe? Yeah. Oh, okay. If it was a big buck, that would suck. I'd throw my bow out of the tree stand. I'd jump off the damn tree stand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I almost did that last year. Um, you probably never, um, if you listen to some of the podcasts, um, if you go back through and listen to them, uh, last year I shot a buck I called Splits. Um, I watched him for a couple years. He was just a cool, had junk, just a sweet buck. And he came out at 20 yards uh, on our farm. I pulled back. He quarters to me a little bit, but I'm like, I practice at 20 yards all the time. It's like, I'm going to slip it in right beside his shoulder. And I hit his shoulder, and it just stopped the arrow dead. Like, I only got, like, probably... Well, I just I found I just found my arrow the other day while hanging in a tree stand. And I the arrows broke off about six inches back. So I got... There was, like, six inches of penetration, but it must not have been in the vitals. But I talk about wanting to throw the bow out of the tree stand I, after I got down out we didn't find him I was about ready to give up bow hunting <laughs> and then whenever I shot him the second time this time I killed him I let him I watched him go down through the woods I have the whole thing on video he stands down there wobbles drops over I waited two hours even though I saw him drop over I waited two hours we go down start tracking blood blood all over the trees the leaves everywhere Look down. He looks. He picks his head up from where he was laying. Looks at me. Gets up and runs away. Then, then I was ready to give up bow hunting. Then that was done. I was like, "Well, we're done. I'm buying a crossbow." How many times have you said you were done bow hunting? Several. Uh, <laughs> okay, it's not just us. Then. I, I, I say it every year. And then the next day I'm back out bow hunting again. Yeah. But as that was probably the most upset I was ever like in my life the first time I was upset I was I didn't even want to go back out then when it happened the second time I mean he did die he only ran back like another 150 yards and then he fell over again and was dead but the fact that he got up and ran away even though I put a good shot on him was still beyond me but I was I was about done then but I got him so now I'm happy again do you have any stories like that yeah and I was gonna ask you guys uh, what's the further shot you'll take um, I will shoot a deer confidently at 30 yards. I have been practicing at 30, 40. I practice at 40. Now I can hit the bullseye, but I won't go much over 30. It depends on how big the buck is. If it's, if it's a big one, 35, I'm really good at 35. Um, I'll shoot 35 at a big one. Um, but if, if he's just like a good buck, I'll try and let him get a little closer. I'm not going to try and push yeah. it. There's a lot can happen in that time from your bow to 35 yards. A lot. I mean, you don't, 
it's crazy. Just at 20 yards, a deer, like last year, he just, like, he was already moved that quick in between 20 yards. And at 20 yards, it's like that, the arrow, you like to go to the release, and the arrow is there, like, in a half a second. Mm -hmm. I can't believe they even have enough reaction time to do that. Yeah. What about you, Tuck? Well, my sight tape goes out to 100 for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> no, I would base it probably 35 would be my max. But I base it on how the deer's acting rather than that's, the situation because that's good. I've shot deer. At, I shot a deer at 30 yards. I mean, I shot him. I didn't kill him. That was when I first started, and it was not good. But um, I'm confident that I can shoot a deer at 30, um, 35 if I'm pushing it. But like you said, their reaction time. If a buck's on you and he has you pinned. You shoot him at 30 yards, he's going to be ducking the arrow. He's going to be moving. Yeah. They're so instinctual. I mean, they hear your bow go off. Now, if he's out feeding, he has no Possible idea you're clue there. there. Yep. Yeah. He's calm. You can tell by his signs. He's relaxed. You can sneak one in a little farther. I would say if I had a, 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 a nice buck, he was calm. He wasn't spooked at all. He was in his element. I would say probably 35. Um, and if I fit, if it was all my good, if everything was right, 35, but probably 30. That's that's the same thing here. At 30 yards, I can hit the bullseye pretty much every time. Yeah. But at 35, I can I can do it too. But there's a lot can happen. Yeah, I I I prefer to get them in at 20. I like to set up closer to trails and where I think the deer are going to be. I'd rather get in a little closer, just to take all of them factors out and just get up close and personal with them because like I had a deer two years ago he came out on my left side and I was in like these three big oak trees that kind of split off and I had to stand in them great stand I mean you deer it's a really hard for deer to pick you up in those stands that are inside of other trees just because the other trees are there and you kind of clump in with it you know, as long as you're still I mean this the biggest buck I've ever seen hunting he came up 30 yards and and the crazy part was this is what's great about the rut it was October 20th like early in the October 20th so like 21st 22nd 23rd it was 60 degrees out and I was sweating up in my state like it was that hot yeah and I was like usually when it's warm you don't usually see deer you know I, I at least I don't well I, I well, shot except for you I yeah sh I shot splits the first time it was 75 degrees out and True. I rattled I rattled a little bit I watched on uh the deer society they're like just tickle the antlers a little bit he laid the one guy's like i do it in october he's like i just tickle them a little bit so i was like you know what screw it. i don't have anything to lose at 75 degrees i can only hunt tickle them a little bit come right up through the woods <laughs> yep that's just how it happens sometimes so he came out and then he came down behind me and he was kind of watching the tree the whole time and i made the mistake of stopping him walking because then he fixed on me when I shot he reared back to try to miss the arrow put the arrow right in the shoulder blade and I only got four inches of penetration and it was parallel with his body so it wasn't straight in it just like hit his shoulder blade and kind of ran out he was fine we saw him later in the year and when you when they're on you it doesn't matter how fast you're shooting because they'll I believe that they'll jump your string pretty quick. What? How far will you shoot? I say 
30s an ethical shot but you head out west mm -hmm. do an elk hunt mule deer uh you're not going to get that close to those no. animals you, no. you better be able to do a 60 yard shot and these bows are well capable yep. of doing it uh, i think there's a huge difference in the elk and mule deer out west compared to the pa whitetails oh my god these Pretty things different. are on edge all, all the, the time. time i think i've never hunted out there but from what i've heard from people that went out there to hunt compared to here they, these things are different they are i went out there in 2020 so dumb like if like these guys that kill them every year out there like i understand why because like if you miss them they they bounce 10 feet look back at you again like you shoot at a deer here in pennsylvania nine times out of ten almost ten times out of ten the dang thing's gone. He's running for the next county. Yep. You don't get a second chance at him. You're just shooting at him while he's running. When you hear two shots, it's because they're running. Yeah. That's about it. You never get to shoot twice. They don't ever, you don't shoot and they don't just turn and look at you unless they're five or 600 yards away. Yeah. They don't, you don't do that. But yep. He's running until he, he gets tired and or finds a big brush pile to lay down in. <laughs> yeah. Have you hunted them out there? You hunted white uh, mule deer? No, not a mule deer. I've been to Canada on bear hunts oh. uh hog hunts uh georgia hog hunt and a texas hog hunt mm. so a lot of hogs i i went to nebraska mule deer hunting and it was it was fun um uh, i didn't shoot a big one uh the one of the guys that hunted with a shot i really just a giant like 25 inches wide like it was just a three by three but it was an old buck huge like roman nose like thick main beams just crazy like sticker points sticking off of it did you get that mounted yeah 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 you got it mounted i just shot it like a just a little three by three which is weird like he was 19 and a half inches wide but he was just like points like this long he's just a like he's like a two and a half year old buck like here you know um i screwed up the first day uh, i had a four by four come in and his he jumped i was on this uh like walk-in permission farm out there right beside the public and i'm sitting there in a um private property fence is like i don't know probably 70 80 yards to my right and i could see it because it's a wide open field and there's a golly beside me he comes over jumps the fence and as soon as he comes over in front of me i was like i'm gonna try and shoot him well then i was looking at him and his rack was blending in with the brush and i was like i don't know how big he is huh the sucker turned and ran back across the fence. I was like, why didn't I? And then I saw how big he was. I was like, what an idiot. I'm done. <laughs> I did get to see, uh, uh, that same day, like 20 minutes after he left, I did get to see a radio collared doe, mule deer doe. Huh. Had like this big box on her neck. Probably uncomfortable. It had like an antenna yeah. and just this big old box. Are you allowed to shoot a uh, collared deer? No. Well, if it was a buck, yeah. But um there's no mule deer doe allowed to be shot in that area we were in the pine ridge unit okay um there's no mule deer doe allowed to be shot just uh the tag's good for either a mule deer buck a whitetail buck or a whitetail doe you can pick one of those three hmm. and you can get a second tag too to shoot either so like you could buy two tags shoot a mule deer and a whitetail or vice versa or get a doe or two but i want to i want to go back out there and or possibly go to like Montana. Yeah. Um, I I don't know if maybe I don't know if I'd take my bow because just for the fact of spot and stock and I ain't that a um, 
efficient yet maybe just take my rifle and just go out yeah. there it looks fun i'd like to go out there like 10 inches of snow on the ground and pine trees and the big gullies Hundreds sounds of fun you can keep the snow though we got the 10 inches of snow here <laughs> i don't know i like i like i'm a sucker for uh good pictures yeah yeah what's Scenery. your best uh what what has been your most memorable hunt so far that would have been a manitoba bear hunt hmm. i was with a bow yes i would be i'm scared of bears i'm not afraid <laughs> to say it I hate bears. Every time I walk in my tree stand, I'm scared. <laughs> are, are you seeing bears? Yeah, I. the reason I was scared is <laughs> I was hanging in a tree stand one time by myself and I was walking in the stand and there is this huge bear on our farm and the sucker came between me and my four wheeler right when I was getting down. I was like 10 yards from my stand and he walked out and I was like, oh no. <laughs> I took off running back up my tree stand as fast as I could. And then he walked into the high grass where my four wheeler was at. I was like, I ain't leaving. Yeah. I'd, I called my mom. I was like, uh, you're going to have to come back here and get the four wheeler for me. I was like, I ain't getting out of this stand. <laughs> I, was, I ain't dying today. Well, I was hanging a stand last year and I'm up halfway up the tree and I'm like looking and see this black thing move through the pines I'm like it's like there's a bear up there and there's two other guys below me and we're sitting there talking we've been there he just slowly stops looks at us and just slowly walks by and then out of that same stand I shot my deer my buck this year and we were looking for it and my dad was walking through the brush and he had a black bear walking up he said he was 30 yards from him I had no idea he was there yet he started walking up to him my dad goes hey bear hey and we start hearing him yell at this bear. And um, the bear, I guess, picks his head up and looks at him, just turns and slowly walks away. Not afraid, that's the thing. If they ran away from us and they were like a deer, and they're like, oh shoot, there's a human there and we're getting out of here, I'd be fine too. <laughs> but the fact that they don't really seem to mind that we're there, and I got pictures of a bear walking right under my tree stand. There is a, a mom and two cubs. And that's the part that worries me, walking in there. Yeah. (laughs) And getting between her and her cubs accidentally. Yeah. I had one one time. I was uh, spring gobbler hunting. And uh, right below my uncle's house, there's like this draw. And the woods is only like 60 yards wide. Like you can see the, like one end of the woods. Like Mm -hmm. you can just look through the whole woods. And there's turkeys out in the field. So I'm like trying to sneak over to the edge of the field to set up. I get down through the draw. I pop up on the other side. I hear something behind me. I thought the turkeys must have like got out of the field and came around the back. So I flip my safety off. I turn around, like 10 yards behind me on the other side of the draw. There's a bear. He he looks at me. I look at him, and he took off running one way. I ran the other way. I, I didn't even care about the turkeys. I was heading for the main yeah. road. I was like, I'll be out of here. <laughs> yeah, bear, not what you want to see going into the woods. Yeah, and then you shoot one with a bow. No way. There's no way. <laughs> I wouldn't even track it. I nope. <laughs> yeah. This he gets is, all mad and he just comes after you instead. Yeah, I don't none of that. Was it like so you shot one? I shot in New Brunswick. New Brunswick, I, okay. Yeah, and the following year my son shot out of the same tree stand uh a female bear in the same location. Huh. Really? Yeah. That's cool. How, how big were the bears? My bear was one sixty five, which the guide come in and said, how big of a bear did you shoot? Well, they're a big ball of fluff. Yeah, they, they look 10 times bigger. I shot one that weighed 202 pound thing, looked like 450. Yeah. 
Yeah, I swore this was 350 pound and it was 165 pound bear they, they uh, look huge when they're on their like when they're walking they look ginormous like i've been with so many guys when they shot like we do a lot of like driving for uh, bears and stuff over there on our farms like before the corn gets cut and like when bear season's in and like i was with this one old dude this bear come running across the road and they're like this bear's like 200 pounds he's like 250 pounds so we're there comes across the road over into the fields, and this old guy shoots him twice, drops it over. I wasn't big enough now. I could have picked the thing up with one arm. It weighed 64 pounds. <laughs> and when I saw it, it looked like 300. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> did you guys see the picture that PA, did you see the picture that PA Whitetail posted of that big black bear walking through? In a town up yeah. in, uh, like. Sillins Grove. Yeah. It's, that's, like. 30 minutes from Williamsport. Oh, really? Yeah, I have friends that live in Sillins Grove there. That's crazy. The thing looked like it weighed like 500, but that was a big bear. I bet you that yeah. thing was at least 400. Yeah, I'll show you a picture of it then. This thing was huge. Just walking through, people were taking pictures of it in town. Yep. <laughs> crazy. Yeah. I haven't seen many this year, so that's, which is a good thing. I haven't had yeah. any on camera. I hope I don't get any on camera. I yeah. Them. But that, that's about the one thing that I'm scared of in the woods. Other than Bigfoot. I know he's out there. Yeah. So, time we're getting, we're here at the start of July. It's time to start getting our bow setups ready for the archery season. Um, what do you recommend people to do to start practicing and to start shooting their bow? And, like, what's your preparation plan getting ready for the archery season? And what should people start to do now to get ready for archery season and get their bow setups going and get shooting? Uh, the bow set up get out get shooting uh get that bow to your local shop uh you know if you're gonna have problems uh whether you're not grouping consistently uh shooting off to one side or the other uh it's good time to get arrows made uh you got to know your bow and you're the you're the guy that's going to know whether or not something's right or wrong uh these bows are capable of shooting bullseyes at 20 yards if your bow isn't doing that you go see your local pro shop see if they can help you out push you in the right direction yeah now what about shooting wise what like what's what's a good practice to get ready like 10, 15 arrows at 20, 10, yeah. 15 arrows at 30. Yeah, like what would you, or what would you have your uh, arch or your 4-H kids do out of practice? Kind of like, because a lot of times I know I go out and I just shoot. But just like in sports, like if you're playing basketball or you're playing baseball, you have to have a purpose to what you're doing. Practice. What do you recommend to start getting out there and the, the, a good practice? Well, I've seen guys that'll say, I shot 100 shots last night. Well, if you didn't work on what your problem was, you didn't gain anything by shooting those 100 shots. Uh, you know, if you have a hard time holding on the target, that's what you need to practice. Uh, if it's your release, that's what you need to practice. Uh, so once you have that all accomplished getting ready for the hunting season i would recommend shooting 20 all the way up to 60 yards uh 
and knowing that you have the groups and knowing what your bow is going to do in that situation, shoot out of a tree stand. Uh, most guys are going to hunt out of a tree stand, so why not shoot practice out shoot out of a tree stand and know that you can do it? Practice like uh, you play. That steep angle shot, see if you can manage to make that happen where you're going to hit that animal. Uh, so, kind of jump off here. Do you shoot standing or sitting out of your tree stand? When, when a deer is coming in, do you stand up and shoot or do you stay sitting? Well, I wear a safety harness. I don't know about you guys, but I wear oh, yeah. a safety harness. I wouldn't be in the tree without a safety harness. So, yeah, I want to practice shooting, standing up, hanging in the safety harness. Uh, a lot of times I'll lean out around the tree knowing that the safety harness is holding me. So you want to be able to practice that shot and know that you can still manage to get it done. So not focusing as much as the repetitions, but have some some effort in what you're doing. And purpose. Have, yeah, have a purpose. That's what I was going for. So like you said about grouping, like make sure you're grouping. Like what to you at um, 20, 30, 40 yards, what do you consider a good group? Like, um, two inch diameter, three inch diameter, like circle, like what do you consider? Like if you put the arrows in like a certain circle, what do you consider? You know what I mean? I'm going to say the yellow bullseye. If you can't hold it in the yellow bullseye, you owe it to that animal to be a good shot. Uh, when I was younger, my dad said, you can't hunt until you can hold all your arrows in a pot plate. Well, that's pretty reasonable. Yeah. Today, these bows are capable of keeping them in the bullseye. Yeah. Whenever. So 20 and 30 yards, I'm going to say if you can hold the yellow, you're you're good. Yeah. I was going to say, like, whenever I really focus, like, I like that's the thing. Like, if I just rip shots, like, I can be, like, off by, like, three inches one way, three inches the other way. But, like, if I settle down, I'm just, like, breathe, settle the pin, I can hit the like pretty close to the bullseye if not the bullseye a lot but like i'm usually like whenever i'm it's probably like a three three inch diameter circle and i figure like that's probably like good like the vitals on a deer is like probably about like that yeah so like i figured if if i can hit that then i'm good shape they are the bows are really advanced you should be able to hit those about every time i guess my my big thing is my eyes they just get blurry like i said before mm -hmm. that's the main reason why I, I always end up like drifting off a lot of guys will tell me come in with a hunting story and they'll say i shot all summer long and i ended up missing a buck or i missed <laughs> this animal mm -hmm. well one of the steps that they made it skipped was uh did you shoot your broadheads to see how the broadhead flies? Definitely a pro tip there to shoot your uh, <laughs> yeah. I shoot your broadhead, see where they're grouping. Um, we were talking. You'll probably know this too. So like, um, out of my bow, I've tried oh man, probably five different brands of broadheads, and I like fixed blades. I do like fixed blades, but the only reason I switched to a mechanical is because it flew just like a field point out of my bow. Like I hit the I hit I have a. Um, when I get closer to the season, I have a like a buck target, like has the inserted uh, uh, foam and whatever, and 
I shoot it with my broadheads then about probably about September I'll start shooting it and I shoot it with my field points and then I put on these mechanicals and they were hitting the same place my field points were but I but I then I tried the same grain um, fixed blade screw them on and they were all over the place I don't know like if that's just like the way they are or if my bow just like if they don't fly right out of there I don't know so like what is like what's the difference like you'd think like if my bow is on with a field point and it hits with the mechanical as well like you'd think like the f- fixed blade would hit too right like that's what to me that seems right yeah there's broadhead tuning and I don't care if it's a mechanical or a fixed blade you need to shoot that broadhead see where it's going to end up so like i guess if as long as the mechanicals hit in the same place as the field point i get i mean it, it did shoot where i wanted it to i i mean i killed that deer um so i guess it's hitting it where i want it to um but i just i would love to use a fixed blade because then there's no like worrying about like if they open up or not but i just when i shoot one it's just all over the place so maybe i'll have to get it tuned to to those i don't know how do you broadhead tune Mm. There's several ways to broadhead tune. Uh, it's usually a rest adjustment to get it to fly. Uh, and it sort of goes against that French tuning that you did with a field point. Explain uh, what French tuning is. Uh, I call it French tuning, but there is walk back tuning. It's the same thing. Guys call it differently. Uh, so up close say at 20 yards you shoot and you're right in the bullseye if you step all the way back to 60 and you notice that your arrows are shooting to the right that means that you need an adjustment on the rest to move it to the left and then recite the bow in to get it back in center uh some people call it center shot uh it's French tuning, walk back tuning, whatever you want to call it, but your two parallel lines will never cross, and yeah. that's what you're doing with that arrow leaving the bow. Now, will you do walk back tuning over paper tuning, or paper tuning first? Yes, I want to sit. I would prefer that I got the group on the target where I want it, and then I'll go and see what a paper tear looks like. And it's crazy. Uh, some hours you'll see have a tear, and it, there's nothing you can do about it. That's where the bow wants to group. Hmm. Uh, from the original get-go, I will take a brand new dozen hours, shoot them through paper, see what kind of tear I get, and do a knock tune. Uh, that's rotating the knock so that they all tear in the same direction. Uh, and hopefully you have that bullet hole that everyone's yeah. after. Yeah. So we said about talking about FOC. I I don't even know what FOC is. Yeah. Like, so hmm. let's. So there's a new trend now with going with heavier arrows and heavier, having a heavier front end on your arrow, um, and that's equated to a high FOC or front of center. Um, I think it goes back to kind of like the recurve and traditional days of archery where you know back in the day am i correct they had bigger broadhead they'd fixed blade broadheads with a lot of weight on the front end and explain why why someone explain the thinking behind 
the theory or the new trend of this high front of center, high weighted arrow. Yeah, the the point weight being heavy is the only way to achieve that FOC. So you're seeing guys put brass inserts in. The theory behind it is that point is going to lead the way. The rest of the iron and the fletchings are just there to For the stabilize, stabilize it out and help steer it. Yeah. Uh, an adult's arrow and the arrow length, it is hard to achieve the FOC that you'll see on the internet. So I always tell my customers, if you're a third towards the front of that arrow, you're within a third, you're pretty reasonable. And the manufacturer in the Lancaster book, all their points that, you know, insert into these arrows are normally really, really close. How far was mine? Mine was... Um, I can't remember. It was like, if this is the error, I think we were we were up near... I'm not sure if it was quite yeah. a third of the way, but it was up there. It wasn't... It was more past yeah. the center. There's a guy, for you guys listening or more interested, there's a guy, his name's Ranch Fair on YouTube, and um, he's starting to do research with the Dr. Ashby Foundation. And um, basically, the more momentum you have, you know, speed is good... Speed, in my opinion, is only good for getting to the animal. But to get through the animal, you don't need speed. You need weight. You need momentum. Um, it's the same analogy as, like, if you get hit with a Fiat going 60, it's going to be a lot less damage than getting hit by a coal truck going 30. Um, because true. that that weight of that arrow is, is going to carry through the animal and not just get there quick and, and lose all its momentum in the animal. Um, and then going with the fixed blade, he's, Dr. Ashby has done tons of, uh, researching and testing. And, um, it's really interesting to look at the different results that he's found with going with these high weighted broadheads. Now they go a little on the extreme side with going like, 200 grain heads, 175 grain heads, even up to 250 grain heads, which is absolutely nuts. I mean, um, they test a lot of their stuff out on pigs at 20 yards, and that's fine, but anything past 20, you have to have a little bit of speed. I mean, they're shooting 700 grain arrows, crazy amounts of weight, um, but I uh, lost my train of thought. What's the last thing I said? <laughs> you said you were talking about uh, Dr. Ashby and you were saying. Oh, okay. But basically just going with uh, your your heavy arrows with a fixed blade to kind of... If you make a bad shot on an animal, it's easier. You have a little more buffer if you hit it in the shoulder blade or whatever. It might blow through it. Yep. Um, you don't have mechanical failures. The other thing... That's interesting is when you have a heavier arrow, they found that your arrow's actually quieter. Hmm. Um, because you're taking all that energy from your bow and all the extra movement, and it takes more energy to move that arrow. So it's absorbed inside the arrow and all the weight. When you have a, a light arrow, it 
it tends to move more, I guess, or it just doesn't it doesn't absorb the energy like like that heavier arrow does. And it all comes down to kinetic energy and momentum and and stuff like that, you know, it's pretty basic physics, but um the other thing is is they said you know, back in the day and I don't know cuz I didn't use that equipment and you probably know, but back in the day they said when you used a fixed blade with a heavy arrow, it's like the deer would just kind of act like they were hitting a lot of times they wouldn't go very far something about knockdown power yeah they'd go 50 yards and they would just blow straight through them and they'd be done and they said now if you look at a lot of people hunting with uh, mechanicals and other things the deer is going to take off and run hard and they could be 100 150 yards away and they claim that that's the difference of using a mechanical and a light arrow between a heavier arrow with um, a fixed blade I guess I don't know how much truth there is to that, um, but that's that's another claim. But in my opinion, I think it's going in the right direction, but I think that you can go overboard with it too. And that's I think that's kind of where you're at too. Yeah, like YouTube may have misled some people. Uh, some of these guys that I get in the shop shoot a 90-pound bow. <laughs> which is crazy those are those guys that, that doctor is talking about yeah <laughs> uh, rip their shoulder apart myself and many others will shoot a bow at 60 pounds that's me i i can't pull anymore i mean i could pull a little bit more but i ain't probably not 70 yeah uh these guys they're huge they're they got muscle they can shoot a 80 to 90 pound bow and be okay with that then you can start using a real stiff arrow to real heavy weighted broadhead and yeah you got the knockdown power yep yeah blow her straight through them and 10 inches into the ground yeah <laughs> average bow hunter is 60 pound shooting a 340 spine arrow with 125 grain broadhead well, there i'm so, average yep so what would you say a good arrow weight is and where do you try to get your arrows at and your customer arrows like a good not a light arrow, not a heavy arrow, right in the sweet spot. 450 to 500 grain. Uh, it doesn't matter what spine it is, but if you can <coughs> manage to get that 500, even pushing 550 grain is pretty common. That's that's what I see the arrows here leave with. <laughs> so, like, do you, I know that, like, um, with like the fletchings on mine they're just straight they came on the arrows they were just like they don't have any angle to them um do you keep them that way too or do you put like a spin on them or like an angle or whatever they would call that a like helical a, a helical yeah okay well there's been a lot of theory behind this but uh if you take your bow and find out that your bow s string is twisted right clockwise or left counterclockwise will determine which way you want to fletch your arrows. Hmm. Uh, years ago, it was uh, the traditional guys wanted a right wing helical so that when the arrow left the bow, that it would clear the riser of the bow. Hmm. So uh, the compound bows, they found that 
which way your string is twisted will determine which way you want to fletch your arrows. Hmm. So Left or right. So the way the arrows are spun and twisted go the same way. What about, have you, I mean, maybe you don't do that here. Um, actually, you probably do. You got your, did you get your arrows fletched here? Uh-uh. No? Um, they're like the four fletchings. Like, what's that about? Like, like I, mine have three on it. What's the difference between going to four? Heck, I just saw somebody had six on one. Yeah. I did see that. I mean, again, this was on YouTube. Yeah. But, but like, was what? that Bomar? It possibly was. I'm I pretty think sure. It might have been Bomar. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was. It, actually, I might saw it on Instagram. So like, what's the what's the difference between going from three fletchings to four? More time it takes to fletch them. Uh, <laughs> does it change? Does it change the way it flies? Really? Yeah, a lot of the target archers will go to four fletch. Uh, I can't say that there's advantage over a three fletch. It's something that I'm not familiar with. I don't do it. I use three fletch. I was gonna say like I. I don't. I don't really understand. Like I thought, maybe you'd cut. Like whenever an arrow is flying through the air, obviously it's got to be aerodynamic. I didn't know if like it creates something more. I don't like doesn't yeah. have as much drag. I guess you could call it. I don't know. I watched someone do a test and explain the different. They did a test between three and four fletched arrows, and they did um, all different fletchings, different arrows, and out to like sixty and seventy yards. For some reason. They saw that the four fletch actually would yaw off to the side either way. As it starts doing it. the parachute effect. Yeah. Yeah. And so I feel like that's a, a big disadvantage to the four fletch. I think you probably get a little more stable stability if you're shooting a big broadhead with the four fletch. But if you're shooting out the distance, I don't know if that's yeah. that's the answer. So what's the parachute effect that you just said? Yeah, about what's that? Yeah, just when you're uh, shooting long distance, say like an 80-yard shot, uh, just like a drag car has that parachute dragging behind, that four-fletch is acting like that to oh, slow it down. I see. Okay, so that it creates more of a drag on the arrow. Makes sense. More fletchings. Chris more. B. actually just... Did you watch his last video about... No, okay, so he did a video with um, the different different how loud arrows are and they measured them all and um they're seeing if there's a difference between thicker arrows than thinner arrows and then um different fletchings on the arrows and then um the amount of fletchings and they found a difference in six millimeter shafts are actually quieter the bigger shafts are bigger or quieter than the four millimeter shafts hmm which is interesting. You'd think the smaller arrow would be quieter because it zips through the air, yeah. But the bigger arrow is actually um, quieter. And they were testing out different veins, like what's quieter. Because really, like, we focus on, like, how quiet our bows are. Like, we want the quietest bow. But out to 25 yards, and if you're going out west shooting and stuff, hunting, when you're shooting out 50, 60 yards, that deer is not going to hear your bow go off. What they're going to hear is the arrow coming towards them. So they were saying, like, what would be a good ideal setup for your quietest, quietest arrow? That and is true. They didn't find a difference between a helical. Um, I mean, there was, but it was negligible. Um, between the three and four fletch, negligible difference. 
the biggest difference was is the arrow diameter and um, just the the type of fletching. The bigger the fletching, it came out to be the louder the arrow, pretty much. That's um, crazy. It I, probably comes back to the heavier the arrow, just like the more mass you have, the quieter your your arrow is. That's what. So we were talking the other night again, but like we did more talking about stuff than we did shooting bows. Um, so on your bow, I have just like I guess not even really a stabilizer. It's more of just like a. Mm-hmm. I don't. Even, it's just like this little. It came with my old Hoyt, and I just threaded it on there. What What do you like recommend for like a good length for a stabilizer and weight? Because like I tend to like whenever I'm pulled back, my arm is compensating for the weight, and I always end up like pulling up. I always end up pulling myself up whenever I'm shooting. Heck, I've even noticed like when he took a video of me, when I shoot, my bow automatically comes up. Like my wrist tilts back like this when I shoot. Cause my arms just pulling it up, and I didn't know if like maybe putting like a heavier stabilizer on there, or something would help like keep my hand from doing that. Maybe I wouldn't have like a maybe my arrow wouldn't pull a little higher. Cause sometimes like if I don't hit like the bullseye, sometimes I'm like two inches high, and I didn't know if that was from like maybe not having like enough weight out there, my arm pulling up. I don't know. What I suggest doing is uh, totally take all the weight off your bow. Totally take it all off. And shoot that bow blank okay nothing on it all right then have say like a a one foot length rod okay that you're going to put on the front no weight on it and then just try shooting your bow with that one foot of stabilizer on it okay see if that does anything for you then start adding weight out on that front one once you establish what's happening between shots and adding weight, you'll you'll hit a point where you say, "Okay, that is helping me, or it isn't." Okay. Uh, see see how the bow reacts to each set of weights you add. Uh, what I notice the the front weight is what takes that shake out of the bow that's a left and right shake. The twist of your wrist like whenever you shoot like that, like this. Yeah. And then all the side rod does for me is balances to where the bubble stays in the center of your level. The bubble in the level. So you have a back, um, what is, what is, uh, what's it called again? Side rod. A side rod. So you have a side rod. I don't... I. I've never tried one. I didn't. I thought it was just a, like another way to keep it from like moving a little bit. <clears throat> so that like on your site, if you're if you're not perfectly like if the level the bubble for the level if it's not perfectly in that line, can that screw your shot up some? Yeah, you'll see left and right shots. I mean, I always uh, try and line mine up whenever I'm shooting, but I didn't know like if you were like having a tough shot or something like I didn't know if like how much it would affect it. Yeah, and a lot, a lot of the hunters don't pay attention to that. And really where that's critical is out of a tree stand shot. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you can't, there's nothing to judge by. The only judgment you have is that level. Okay. So learn to use it. I was going to say, I always use mine, but I didn't know like if you were like trying to miss like a limb or something and like had to tilt your bow or something, I didn't know like how much it would screw it up. What have you been doing for uh, scouting bucks and 
you gotten any nice deer on camera? Are you looking at any so far? Yeah, I'll, I started probably three weeks ago with trail cameras out. Uh, a lot of guys are going to these cellular cellular uh, trail cameras. Yep, he has one. Which is cool. I'm looking at one. <laughs> hey, here, I'm going to show you. This buck just popped up talking about bucks. Where's that at? Yeah. <laughs> He's, he, I have no idea where he came from. Just popped out of the like middle of nowhere. And I just, I forgot to tell you, last night I was checking some cameras back at our one farm. And I got this really wide buck with these like like five inch brow ties. Just like, wow. He's just like, he's just real wide. Nothing. He doesn't have many points yet or nothing. Yeah. They're just like, there's a lot of bucks. Like we, um, we put about uh this year we put 785 acres of corn out about 100 acres of soybeans and i was kind of getting worried like i only had like one nice buck on camera like the first like i don't know the whole month of june and i just started checking cameras and it's just like every week there's more and more deer showing up but i'm guessing the corn and the crops are getting tall enough now and there's enough forage that they're starting to show back up but i'm excited yeah that's a nice buck i like going for evening drives uh you know on the dirt roads and these farm fields around here uh you know see see what bucks are hanging around uh i work for the township so it's always nice being out on the road with them yeah. oh yeah take uh, your binoculars in the truck with yeah. you <laughs> so um have, like what's the like biggest buck you, you've killed uh, that was a 10 point and he probably has a it's been so long I'm not sure the width of him 22 inch spread that's, something like that's that a big, that's a nice, nice buck. buck yeah that's yeah. a really nice buck yeah what's your procedure for for running trail cameras this time of year and how do you lead that into the fall uh like I don't check mine I use a pretty big memory stick okay. so that I don't need to go in there so often, try and keep my scent down. Uh, I try and go like late morning. Uh, hopefully I'm not disturbing de the deer, mm -hmm. uh, spooking them. Uh, the farm land around here, it's all, you know, small patches of woods. It's a lot of the deer come from the mountain, but they can be hanging out in those small patches. Mm -hmm. hmm. So you're so you're thinking about switching to some cell cams? Yeah, I'd like to. I have I have one actually that I wanted to. I was I called you yesterday and you didn't answer. Then I forgot about it. Um, I just I have a Moultrie Mobile um, Delta. Um, it takes fantastic pictures. Um, it's really good. I just saw yesterday, it said, they post this post on Instagram, it said, coming soon. It's the Delta, or no, it's not even a Delta, it's like some Gen X, that's something weird. Looks sweet, looks, and yeah. it's, it says something about new technology and stuff, huh. looks simple to use. So I'm going to hold out until they drop that one and get one of them. I wanted to, I've been talking about getting a second one, and now that I saw that, I've already have a plan with Moultrie, and I was going to buy another Moultrie, like a uh, Delta. But I figured, well, if they're dropping this new one, I might as well try to wait. Just wait. Yeah, just wait and get it. Because I love it. It's I just have it in my food plot right now. Um, uh, I have like a two-acre food plot. There's corn and then clover on the inside. 
and I just have it there watching some of the deer. It's usually, I'll put a, I have a, um, like a six inch fence post and I'll, I have holes drilled in and I'll plant, I'll dig a hole and put it in the ground there, concrete it in here soon, put some leaves and stuff in it, like pine limbs. And I'll usually put it on that, but so, so cool. I love waking up. I'll check it. Like I, I used to get yelled at by my old girlfriend. <laughs> she would, uh, I'd be checking it like constantly, like we'd be doing something. I'd, she'd be like, what are you looking at? Multi mobiles on there. That's, well, that's the problem. Yeah. You're too worried about the cell camera. That's the whole moral of the story there. <laughs> yeah. you'll, you'll be up dating your uh, data plan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Listen, listen, I invested all my time into the deer. <laughs> 24-7, 365 days a year. That's what I'm worried about. Like, Tacticam just came out with their new one. And I'm worried, how long are they going to keep the old model? Are they going to get rid of it, and then will it not be on a plan anymore? Well, Maltry, I thought for the longest time that they did that, but here my camera just wasn't working. I have, I got the first, like one of the first cell cam, like it's not, it wasn't even a cell cam, it was called a modem. It plugged into your camera. Huh. That was like the first thing Maltry came out with, and I got one right off the bat. I was like, this is the coolest thing. And... It, I mean, it was good. It took, I mean, it, the camera pictures were good because they came straight off a regular camera. Yeah. And all it did was send it to you. Um, but they're, they're not obsolete. They're still, I mean, that thing's, oh, really? I mean, it's really not that old, but cell cams aren't that, like, old either. Like, I think the that modem came out six years ago. Oh, well, I mean, in and I got technology it years and especially that's new technology. Yeah. That's a long time, but there's still, you can still, like, I have it. I just don't use it because um, I don't want to pay for the plan. Yeah. And I don't want to hook it up to just, like, a regular camera. I did see, like, um, I don't like Spy Point. I, I don't like, that's just yeah. me. But they make a cell link. Uh-huh. And you can plug that into any camera. Um I was, and it'll make it a cell like and you don't it doesn't have to be hooked to a spy point you can hook yeah. it to a brown and a Moultrie you can hook it to any camera yeah. and it makes it a cell cam I like that that's cool yeah I mean that's useful I heard the problem with those ours after a while because what it does is it like it has a cord that goes up and you plug it into the SD card slot oh really yeah and that's how it gets it from oh you know what I do know that because my cousin has one and I was looking at it yeah that is true it's weird it's like a weird cord with yeah. a fake SD card and they said that after a while that cord gets worn down and can mess up the connection between your the SD card or whatever and the thing the thing I have problem with with them is like where I have my cameras it's the farm sits down next to a creek and it's always foggy there every morning it's foggy back there and there's a lot of dew and that port you have to open that port to plug mm. in and there's other ports there and they're exposed then yeah and like can't like the water gets up in there i haven't had any problems with this one yet but last year i had one after whenever i had the port open it like just filled the whole camera with water like and I couldn't get it out. Like it just filled the lens with water, and then it quit taking pictures, and then yeah. it just quit. It seems like once you get moisture into your camera, it's done. I have one Pro. right now. I have a stealth cam back at our place, and it has moisture in the lens. I haven't taken it out of the woods yet. I just let it there. I'm thinking. I'm trying to take it home. I want to take the cover off uh -huh. and just throw it in a bag of rice, just to see if I can take care yeah. of it. Cause it's a good. I like. They're good cameras. I got them like a two pack for like ninety bucks. Yeah. They're good. I'd I'd hate to see it go to waste because it still takes pictures. Yeah. You can see like the deer in the picture, and but 
all you see is like this or like deer look orange this time of year on this yeah all you see is like this orange dot behind the moisture and you're like gosh dang yeah yeah the camera's taking pictures but they suck yep well dan you're starting up a new a new shop here trying to um you're a lancaster dealer correct correct so what what what's your goal here with the shop and what do you do and um when people come to you what can you help them with in their archery setup or yeah my goal is just to help everyone i can the uh, with archery uh it's my love of archery that makes me want to help people uh i'm not in it to make a fortune uh just enjoy archery and what archery is about uh that's pretty much what i'm after that's good that's it, that's yeah. what makes it successful. it's a good it's a good motivation yeah yeah and you do bowstrings what all what all do you do that way yeah i do uh custom strings uh try and match up you know whatever color you want uh with a combination of what i can do uh from pinstripe strings to two colored three colored uh, I fletch arrows uh, constantly. Uh, not one of my favorite things to do, but <laughs> I do fletch arrows for people. Uh, uh, customers just need help with uh, the tuning of a bow, and uh, if I can teach you something, I will. Do you do any lessons or anything like that? No, other than the 4-H. Uh, of course you get the beginning sh shooter you know young kid i enjoy working with a young kid yeah teaching them the sport uh and they're our future so uh definitely help them out yeah yeah definitely gotta worry about the future because everybody's trying to get rid of hunting all the time yeah yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah and um you can thank you anything for you from lancaster right you're yeah. all good that way yeah, just recently started uh, selling a lot, a lot of product. Uh, That's good. Probably more product than I have been doing bowstrings. So uh, we'll, we'll see when it evolves to at this point. Yeah. But. That's good. Um, just one question I, I didn't. How often do you recommend um, changing your bowstrings out? Oh, that is a good question. Uh, That's a good, like, yeah. for kids. Like, I, I want to get after this season. I want to get mine redone. I'm thinking, like, after the season, I'm going to get mine redone. And should you, is it necessary to change your bowstring? Because I know there's some people that say, ah, oh, I don't need new strings or anything like that. Yeah, like, I see many bowstrings come into the shop, and uh, someone that doesn't carry their bow in a bow case, that string gets dirty. Uh, I'm guilty for that. I don't have a bow case. <laughs> <laughs> the dirt gets in between the strands of the string and then starts wearing then you'll see uh frays starting to go yeah that's definitely a sign of needing a new bowstring uh a bowstring can be dressed up uh cleaned uh come into the shop i'll show you how to do it yeah i think mine's definitely gonna need it after this. it's not fraying 
yeah, like you can start to see like where there's like a um a little piece of string getting ready to raise up. That's about it. It's not even that bad. Yeah. Um, the worst one like right beside my uh, peep slate, there's like a strand that goes around. You know how like the peep slate is like woven around there. There's a little one starting right there. Um, that's about the only one that I've noticed. Um, but I figured I it's still good. I figured after this year I'll um break down and get some yeah yeah use a little bow wax keep that bow string clean i did i did after uh um after i got ready to put it away for like winter and stuff i did uh wax it up i went to the store and got some bow wax and got it waxed up as best as i could <laughs> yeah um tried doing that but yeah I, I, was, I wanted to ask that question i forgot about it yeah that's a good question i just got mine done and february yeah and Dan did a really, did a really good job. Yeah, I like I it. I really like him a lot. I got the fluorescent yellow, and my strings were. I had my strings on that bow for, well, four years, and I bought my bow used, and they were. I thought when I bought the bow, it needed new strings, but you got them dressed up and where they were supposed to be, and I kept wax on them and stuff, and they were good for another two years after that, and um, finally, finally got. This is, this will be year season three with these strings yeah. so i figured like every three years maybe if i could get them is, is that like normal is yeah what do you what do you recommend yeah if you're a heavy shooter where you're shooting 100 shots a day uh or in an outing uh i'm gonna suggest that maybe every two years you every other year you put a bow string on. i usually shoot like about 50 shots a night about six nights a week if I can, like, if I'm not, like, busy working, but, like, I usually shoot about 50, 60 shots a night. So, I mean, I guess I'm not shooting as much as 100 shots a day. So, maybe I can make it last three years. I mean, it's, it's at three years now. Yeah. Keep your servings in good shape. If you see any separation where it's rotting over, like, the module or the cam. Yeah. Uh, if you don't ad address that problem, it can start wearing into the string. Yeah, I didn't notice, like, um, whenever I looked at them, I, you, like, they'll start to, like, look like they're uh, fraying apart. Not really fraying apart, but, like, spacing apart. You can start to see the understring, I guess. Um, I, it's not, it's not like that yet, so um, I hope it doesn't get that way until after I'm done with it this year, after I kill a big buck. Um, yeah. yeah, hopefully. <laughs> uh, did, and did you have any success last year hunting? No terrible season yeah. uh had three decent bucks uh of course <clears throat> the second morning i seen the one 10 yards behind me had no clue it was there <laughs> oh, <geez>. <laughs> <clears throat> uh it ended up getting shot the following friday evening by a fellow archer uh which i'm okay with that mm -hmm. uh hurt a that, little bit but it's okay <laughs> that definitely changed the pattern of the two other bucks didn't see them the rest of the season so huh. uh that's are that's they back this year yet did you notice if they're back this year yet the the one is i believe yeah i this i this year i had um like two or three bucks come back that i well actually that's a lot there's like four that came back this year um and it's crazy like some of them you'll see like huge jumps um and then other ones, like, they look the exact same as last year. They're just a hair bit bigger. You'd think, like, they would all make big jumps, but sometimes they don't. Like, I have one. He has this big rip in his ear. It's easy to tell. His right ear, it's just got this big gash, and it, like, ripped in half. 
Last year, he's just a solid eight point. This year, he looks like he's just going to be another about the same size that he was last year, no bigger. And then I had a buck last year. It was a nice clean 10, and this year he's got like 13 points already. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> he's throwing junk. Tucker, me, I took yeah. Tucker to watch him the one night, and of course, he, I watched him like six nights in a row, and then I bring Tucker out to watch him, and then he didn't come out. Yeah. I haven't seen him since. Really? <laughs> Not with my own eyes. Oh, I, man. Tucker's bad luck. No, yeah, no, I am bad I, luck. I took him turkey hunting, couldn't get him a turkey. Yeah, yeah, turkey season is rough. Did you get a turkey? Uh, not this year. Yeah. <laughs> I'm eating tag suit. Yeah, that's okay. I see those on Instagram where guys, are, they have like a frying pan and they put oil in and they're throwing their tags <laughs> in it and starting it up. <laughs> yeah, which it's time. Uh, what's today, the 9th or 10th? 9th. Ninth. I think um, if you want to send in for your doe tags, I think that's this week, right? Yeah, you can start sending in for the first yeah. round, I think. Which they give out so many now that I don't think you really even need to jump on it, really. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not. I don't. I don't even get a doe tag. I'm not worried about if I don't shoot a buck in archery season or rifle season. I I hunt late flintlock. I like getting out the old smoke pole. And if I don't shoot a buck, like I'll try and shoot a buck. But if I get a nice big doe that comes in, I can get a good shot at her. I'll try. Um, I've killed a couple with one. It is fun to use a smoke pole. Have you ever used one? No. It's it's definitely it's. You'd think like it, like see rifle season. I like hunting rifle yet, you know, because that's just that's what I started with. Um, but hunting flintlock, we drive in flintlock though, like for deer, like over or one of my uncle's place. Like there's like a bunch of these old guys that still hunt with them, and we'll do some little drives in these woods and it's just so fun to hear you know see a big cloud smoking that's just fun it, it's almost like our archery hunting like that fun part uh -huh. like you're not you're not like at like an archery season i'm after like a big buck like i'm just hunting big buck in flintlock season i'm just out there to like have a good time just shoot as many shots i can yeah. get out there ramrod and the bullet down in or <laughs> just trying to get it that's fun I have to try it. It's October so is a good time of the year to get out after them. Yeah. Oh yeah. I love I love late October. Yeah. There's a lot of guys that um, everybody's like always focused on the rut, which I love the rut too. Um, I'd be lying if I said I didn't. But I really, really like that like late October, like Tucker was saying, like the like from the 20th to like the 28th, like that, like week week and a half right there. I've seen more bucks on our farm out moving in like the mornings, like just like, and not even just like one, they'll be like, you'll look over the CRP and you'll see like six different bucks out there working around and they're, they're like starting to check for like the doe groups, you know, they're all yeah. out just kind of wondering. That's like one of the best times that I've noticed. Like the last three years I've been archery hunting a lot and like actually focusing on it. Uh, I've noticed that that like late October is the best time to see bucks out on their feet. Oh, I mean, in the rut, yes, you can, if you're in there on a good day, you'll see every buck on the farm, but just to have a really good sit. If I was going to take a week off, if I could take a week off, I would probably go for like the, like the 25th through like the 2nd of November. Yeah. Somewhere like that week. That'd probably be my pick. Yep. I, there's a lot of guys that say like Halloween, like you should be in a stand on Halloween. on Halloween and on as much as you can. Yeah. So, do you try to not wear out your stands, or will you just go in and hunt and? Yeah, I'll try not to burn my stands out. Now, uh, does that stay true even through the rut? 
now I'll hunt the rut a little harder, but then here in Somerset, PA, you're uh, dealing with all the other hunting activity that's going on. Yep. Yeah. Uh, you had small game hunters come through. They brought their dogs through. Uh, what we have trapping season going on. Yep. Guys are out disturbing the animals. It just the crops are the farmers are taking the crops off. Everything's changing for them. That whole pattern that you worked on all summer seems to be shot. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I, I call it the. I've. I can't say I call it. I. I call it what I've heard of. It was called um, the September switch. When that when they uh, when September hits and that velvet gets rubbed off and those testosterone levels hit the roof, their their patterns just. And like at our farm, I don't even. I don't even try and pattern the deer until September. Like I just like getting pictures of them and watching them till then. I don't even try to even figure them out because the second we cut our corn and stuff, it's just like total flip flop of what it was before. They'll start popping out two miles away from where they yeah. were before. It's just so so. I don't even. I just like watching them because I know I bet money on it that they're gonna be totally gone whenever we cut the corn and stuff. Every year, like clockwork go in there they're there for about three days after we cut the corn and then after that it's just game over because then they're they're kind of in survival mode of like their testosterone levels arise and they know like hunting season's coming and they they're after the they're starting to look for the does and they don't even care about the food anymore they're just out there yep yeah the rut's a a magical time (laughs) to be in the woods i mean i think for me, I like turkey hunting, but I'm not huge into it. I think that time, late October, first week of November, even the second week of November, it's just such a great time to yeah, be out in the I, woods. I'd be lying. I've I've killed. I'm a really good turkey hunter, but I like deer hunting more. Yeah, I can I can go out and kill a turkey. I wish I could do that with deer, but I guess it won't be as fun then. I like the chase. I like making a story. Mm-hmm. That's the best part. Are you a big turkey hunter? Not as big as deer hunting, but yeah. I enjoy the spring gobbler. Yeah, that's about the only time like where my mind like flips off of deer for a little bit. Like they're still even on my mind. Like whenever I'm turkey hunting, I'm looking for sheds and stuff that I missed, and I I like I'm still thinking about deer, but I I'm not like totally focused on it. It's about the only like month and a half that I I don't really focus on it totally. That's about it. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate you wanting to come on and yeah. stuff. Oh, thank you guys yeah. for uh, yeah doing this. Yeah, thanks. Uh, it's nice whenever people that are will come on for us, even yeah. if it's just like they uh, support us a little bit and they'll give us their time to come on here. Yep. Yeah, it means a lot. And- for all you listening out there, um, we'll have Dan's information on um, the Farmland Hunter. Um, and you can call, come come here, get your bow set up, get any accessories you need. It's always a good idea to come in and just get your bow checked up. Like, I thought I was having a totally different problem than what was actually going on. In, in sort of a roundabout way, I thought maybe my, my rest was off, but then it turned out my D-loop was what half inch quarter inch high quarter inch high yeah yeah 
and it walked up on me. And that's something that I would have never noticed or looked at. I would just would have shot it all year long, and I probably would have went and got my broadheads and been like, just recited maybe your um your single pin in yep. just to like compensate. Yep. You would have never known. They might have slipped up even more. Yep. And um, you know, ha bring it out. It's just just like you know this bow and your equipment is what's going to lead to success. You're not, if your bow setup's not right and it's not taken care of, it can prohibit you from having success in the fall. So just get it done, come take it over, come bring it over here, get your corks worked out and and start shooting. And Dan will get you set up. He knows what he's doing. He's been around the block a time or two. He's, uh, you've shot with some, some big names in the industry. Talk to Levi Morgan. <laughs> yeah, and uh, you also shot with Jesse Broadwater, didn't you? Yeah, Jesse Broadwater was a member at Mountain Bowman Archery for. Yep. Do you know who Jesse Broadwater years. is? Um, I know I've heard the last name Broadwater. I'm related to some Broadwaters, but I don't know if his. <laughs> I don't know him. I don't. Yeah, think. Jesse Broadwater. He's one of the big name bow hunters out there. They're bow hunters and. Uh, and archers and really world renowned anymore. No, um, and he shot at Mountain Bowman. Yes. Hmm. Grew up in Frostburg, Maryland. Huh. Not very far away. Small world. Yeah, about thirty minute drive from yep. our place. Yep. Yeah, he um Yeah, you Dan knows what he's talking about. Are you would are you considered a pro shooter or no, no i'm not a pro shooter no and what would you call yourself or what would somebody call yeah. you don't say what you consider yourself what would somebody call you uh i, I would still be an amateur yeah uh, he'd be a damn good amateur they, they say a pro gets paid to shoot i don't think i ever made any money shooting <laughs> <laughs> just costed money yeah, yeah. it's yeah. an expensive expensive hobby yep. one last question why do you shoot Matthews over any other brand now I know you did have a Hoyt before you got rid of the Hoyt got a Matthews what's your draw to Matthews we're all Matthews guys here I like the smoothness of a Matthews uh, the the new V3 it's just the smoothest bow I ever shot. Uh, I bought a VXR for myself. Uh, I shoot the Matthews TRX38 for target. They're just smooth. Uh, they may not be the easiest bow to build a bowstring for. <laughs> but uh, a lot of working parts. The smoothness, the accuracy, the comfort. Uh, the bow should shoot as easy as sitting on your lounge chair at home. And I just feel that that's in Matthews. Uh, but I love all bows. I think all bows are cool. And they're yeah. made in Wisconsin. Matthews. Uh -huh. That is a is. Are all the bows, the majority of them made in the United States, or are some of them made out overseas? Uh, the majority are made here in the States. Uh, like, I don't know of any... Maybe some of your Olympic restyle or recurve style um, may be foreign made, but. That's what's cool about those. They're not manufactured anywhere else. They're really, they're not custom made, but they almost are here. I mean, 
you go and look at a bow in the shop and they all have their little different corks to them and they're mass produced but they're also all hand checked and and stuff like that they're just not ran through on some assembly line over in china yeah and i noticed like hoyt like the biggest difference like i noticed between matthews and hoyt just to like not even shoot them just to look at them hoyt has a lot of like frame features like they have a bunch of like more of like frame like there's nothing to a matthews bow like mine there's you look at it it's thin doesn't have that much like you look at a hoyt they have like all those weird uh -huh. like um frame pieces that are yeah. all like mended together yeah like there's new like red works whatever it's like they mm -hmm. have there's like a lot to them and like when you look at them like i think like there's a lot more weight there maybe there's not but yep so to someone just wanting to get into archery what's their first step and what how much should they be looking at spending on a setup what should they do where should they go should they get lessons my advice to a new shooter would be go to a, a pro shop try and stay away from your cabela's uh walmart has bows i won't even <laughs> consider uh go to a pro shop let them work with the pro shops they'll have things on the shelf that you can try uh you can't go to walmart and shoot one of these bows uh nobody in there's gonna know one thing about yeah. it yeah uh, a pro shop's gonna set even if it's a young kid they're they're not gonna be able to shoot a bow that's meant for you and i no uh a pro shop's gonna set a bow up that is a poundage that can handle <laughs> a draw length that's right for them that's the best advice i can give you is go to a pro shop go to someone who knows yeah they're only going to help you they're not out there to hurt you yep i i i truly believe i don't think there's anyone that has ever shot a bow and been like i don't know. i mean i'm sure there has but the majority of people i think once they shoot a bow even if they don't go out and buy a bow they're like oh this is pretty fun i haven't heard of anyone been like ah eh, yeah i this just isn't for me yeah the the money you talked about, you know, how much are you going to spend? You go to a pro shop, and if you can buy a bare bow, beginner, somewhere around 500 bucks, you're doing pretty good. Uh, then the accessories on top of mm -hmm. it, and that's all in what you choose. I and that's actually even on the upper end, too. I mean, I bought my first bow. It was a PSE Ferocity, and I still, like... I kicked myself for getting rid of that bow. I don't know if you remember it. It was like a cryptic camo bow. I still would maybe, sh for some reason for me, it felt better and I shot it better than my triax. I haven't been able to shoot my triax like I could that bow. I don't know why that is, um, but I paid 450, came with a quiver, a whisker, a whisker biscuit, and um, a sight. All set up, and I think it was like 4.30, I think. And like I said, I shot better and felt more comfortable with that bow than my Triax, I think. Now, you've had a lot of bows over the years. Have you had that same feeling where you're like, oh man, I wish I wouldn't have got that bow, or I just can't seem to shoot this bow like I did my other one? Yeah, usually it's when you change up a bow that that happens. Uh, you worked with your old bow, got to learn your old bow and now you made a swap 
Now you're relearning all over again. Yeah. Uh, most most guys will change up a boat too every other year. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, know, I can't I know, afford to do that. I know my boat. Um, I got the verdicts. Um, it was actually like a couple months after it came out. It was like seven or eight months after it came out. The the V three was getting ready to come out, and or no, which one came first, the VXR or the V three? VXR. Okay, so then the VXR was just getting ready to come out, and I went and bought the verdicts. It was like eleven hundred and fifty bucks, <laughs> and then so I put a sight on it, um, like a rest, all that stuff. I think I I had like uh, thirteen hundred and fifty bucks in it. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh my god. Yeah. There went all my graduation money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I recommend people check out uh, your Craigslist, your used bows. I bought my bow. I found my bow on Craigslist, my Triax for 575 bare bow. No, with a stabilizer. And it's a bee stinger stabilizer and they're like 40, 50 bucks. Yep, I looked at them, they're like, they're expensive. Yeah, and uh, hell, you couldn't, I could sell my Triax for probably that much right now, bare bow. And so look out there, look for the deals too if you're looking and you wanna get in a a better option. and then you can take that bow. It's a little riskier going that way for sure. If you don't know what you're looking at right away, but even for guys that are out there that you know can't afford a new bow. But um, are you selling bows through Lancaster? Can you sell bows? Uh, I cannot get them shipped is the problem. Uh, okay. Uh, the dealer from the bow companies, say like Hoyt or Matthews, does not allow it to be shipped out of Lancaster. So, hmm. uh, if it's a new shooter, uh, we can always use Archery Talk to help find you a bow. Yeah, Archery Talk's another really good place to look at too. They have some good deals on there on equipment. Yeah, that's good. Well, Dan, thank you again for coming on. It was good sitting down and talking yep. with you. It's always good, and I think we're gonna. Hop on off of Hop here. Hop off here and we'll talk to you guys later. Thanks, Dan. All yep, right. Thank, thank you. you guys. Yep. Bye.